in fierce hand-to-hand fighting. Now the oven, the, the, the oven is getting hot, cried the prophet. He was seen to lean forward eagerly to watch as the tide of the fighting ebbed and, and, and followed. If a Bedouin tribe's fighting force did not break their enemy with that first wild charge, they seldom lingered long, for they were usually after booty or honor, nor, not death. In a short time, the Hawazin broke away and ran for their lives. Among the captives seized in the tents of the Bani, Hawazin that had been fetched near the battlefield was an old woman of the Bani Sa'd who loudly claimed that she was the Prophet's sister. At first, the Muslim soldiers merely laughed at her, but her persistence eventually won the day, and two of them escorted her to Muhammad's distinctive tent, which was made of strips of leather dyed red. He came out to greet them. The old woman stepped forward, Oh, Muhammad, I'm your sister. She said simply, notice that she used his first name. She exhibits here, here what uh, you. She exhibits here what uh, you will find is one of the colored threads known wove, woven into the carpet of this book, namely that particular peculiar mixture of affectionate respect and simply uh, simple uh, familiarity. That is the charm of nomadic society. Have you any proof of that? Muhammad asked her, for her, for he did not recognize her by her face. She replied by pulling up the sleeve of her dress to reveal the white scar of a bit mark on the bottom skin. You gave me that, she said. Do you remember one day when I was carrying you on my head through the Wadi Stirhar to join the sounds? Oh, Muhammad, I'm your sister. Uh, she said simply, notice that she used his first name. She exhibits here what you will find is one of the colored threads woven into the carpet of this book, namely the peculiar mixture of affectionate respect and simple familiarity that is the charm of nomadic society. Have you any proof of that? Muhammad asked her, for he did not recognize her by her face. She replied by pulling up the sleeve of her dress to reveal the white scar of a white mark on the brown skin. You gave me that, she said. Do you remember one day when I was carrying you on my hip through the wadi, the syrup? Hard to join the shivers. The Bedouin captive was indeed Budama, his foster sister. Muhammad was overcome with joy to see her again and embraced her warmly. He spread uh, his cloak for her in the time-honored gesture. They sat down together until late into the evening. They talked about their young days. Muhammad wanted to know about all that had befallen the members of his Bedouin foster family. Next morning, she was sent on her way back to the desert uh, tents bearing gifts from Muhammad for herself and for her family. When they heard Yudama's story, the chiefs of the Banu Sa'ad clan of the Banu Hawazin saw their opportunity. They approached him and said, O Messenger of God, the woman who suckled you as a baby and looked after you as a child out of our tribe, have, uh, have pity on us, the poor people who have suffered this disaster. Which which are nearest? Which are dearest to you, Muhammad asked? Your children and your wives, or your flocks and herds? Give us back our wives and children, they said to him as one. According to the Bedouin Sunnah, after such a battle, the captured woman and the children were never killed or otherwise harmed. But they did risk being sold into slavery, for they belonged among the spoils of victory, at least until 
the Caliph Omar issued a law prohibiting the sale of Arabs into slavery. Muhammad undoubtedly had an obligation to grant the request of the Banu Sa'id chiefs and he was scrupulous about such matters. But the Muslim warriors also expected to have their shares of the spoils of victory, which of course included the, hap the hapless Bani Sa'id men, women and children. Muhammad resolved the dilemma with the considerable political acumen. He told the Banu Sa'id chiefs to wait until a large assembly of the Muslim army leaders had gathered uh, for the nobody prayer. We asked the messengers intercession with the Muslims and we asked for the Muslims intercession with the messenger to set free our wives and children. Cried out uh, the Banu Sa'ad chiefs in loud words uh, following Muhammad's private instruction to the letter. The soldiers from Medina spontaneously offered their share of the prisoners to the Prophet to dispose of as he pleased. But two of the Bedouin tribal contingents, the Khuzara and uh, Bani Tamim, flatly refused to follow their uh, example. So did the chief of the third tribe, the Banu or the Bani Sulaim. Not so. What is our, our uh, what what's ours uh, uh, what is ours belong to the messenger? declared the tribesmen of the Bani Sulaim, much to the chagrin, much to the to the chagrin of the Sheikh. The debate in the assembly between the Arabs, all free and equal in the discussion, uh, raged hot, hotly for an hour or more. Do not underestimate the difficulties of the situation. The Bedouin have a proverb, the hawk dies with his eyes fixed on the prey. The hawk dies with his eyes fixed on the prey. Booty was the prey of the Bedouin, but they, they were as passionate about it as the hawk. Muhammad waited patiently for the right moment, and when it came, he was ready with his uh, with the just the right compromise. Whoever insists on his uh, right to share of the prisoners should release them now and will compensate him with uh, six simple camels to, uh, to every man from the next booty was. Muhammad, Muhammad issued no order. He told the men of the Bani Sa'ad to appeal to the General Assembly of the Muslims using his practical wisdom and using his practical wisdom to advise them correctly. He then showed judgment in choosing just the right time to exert his influence for he knew the Bedouin well enough to know that six camels would prove more attractive to them than the burden of another wife. Notice too that he suggests to the Bani Sa'ad leaders that they appeal to the Muslims to intercede with them, in other words, giving the Muslims the chance to gain honor in public by displaying their notice too that he suggests to the leaders that they appeal to the Muslims to intercede with them, in other words, giving the Muslims the chance to gain honor in public by displaying their magnanimity. Muhammad knew the Arab nomads after all he was in Shakespeare's words to the to the to the to the manner born. Another recipient of Muhammad's gifts after the battle of Hunan was the young Bedouin, Faid, Qa'ib, Arabic leader, Malik is Ibn Malik Ibn Auf, who had hotly persuaded the Banu Hawazin's chiefs to make war against the Muslims after the capture of Malkin. He had done so, incidentally, against the far wiser council of uh, Duraib Ibn Sima, the tribe's most senior chief. The right was a veteran Bedouin war leader. The skin of his old legs, it is said, was as thin as paper from riding here. Uh, for, uh, horses bareback on so many raids. 
now ailing in health, he conducted himself with the courage and dignity of a great Bedouin chief to show that it was not a cowardice, as some young uh, hotheads had suggested, that had led him to oppose Malik's rash declaration of war against Muhammad. Duraid had himself taken to the battle in a camel litter during the rout of the Hawazin, a young warrior of the Bani Sulaim, a Bedouin tribe fighting on the Muslim side, galloped up to the litter, uh, seized the camel by the reins, and thrust at him with his lance in a clumsy way. How badly has your mother reared you, said Duraid, totally calm and self-possessed, and besides the Bedouin were uh, remarkably uh, unsentimental about death, their own or another's. Duraid then proceeded to give some advice to the beginner on how to kill him. There, take that sword hung up behind my litter and strike just between the spine and the head. It was there I used to slay the adversary in my day. Then go and tell your mother that you have killed Duraid. Many are the days in which I have saved the lives of the women of your tribe. He had indeed saved the youth's mother and his two grandmothers, but it, it earned him no mercy at Hunayn. Key points, a leader should exemplify or personify the qualities expected, required and admired in their working groups. A leader of soldiers, for example, needs to demonstrate courage, the soldier's virtue, as Shakespeare called it. Courage is a quality shown by Muhammad at Hunayn. It is that which enables people to meet danger without giving way to fear, to act bravely under stress or to endure in times of adversity. All members of working groups, organizations, or communities at all times in known history share one thing in common. They are all persons with a common and constant human nature. A universal leader then will be a person who exemplifies such distinctively human qualities as goodness, kindness, humanness, and compassion. Did you see any of these qualities in Muhammad? Another general quality of universal leader is Humility. The word comes from the Latin root humus, humus, ground, earth, related to homo, man. When Muhammad spread his cloak, lowered himself, and sat on the ground with people at the same level, it was an act of humility. Compare a king sitting high uh, upon a throne above his subjects who abase themselves before him, as they will tell you in Ghana, don't expect to be offered a chair. When you visit a place where the chief himself sits on the floor, don't expect to be offered a chair. When you visit a place where the chief himself sits on the floor, it is the tribe that tells the chief how to do his job. Arab proverb. Alhamdulillah.